0: People are so focused on this one problem. They don't even see that all this other stuff impacts their department or their role because no one's documented it. And so just having somebody whose sole responsibility is putting all the stuff that you're doing digitally in an organized fashion is like my number one business hack for people who are stuck between that three to five and think that they need some expert operator who's going to come in and fix all their problems. Well, no, they don't even know what problems to fix because it isn't even organized in a fashion that they could properly assess those things. And oftentimes, those higher paid executives don't want to do that work. Yo, what's
1: up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Natalie Dawson. Natalie is an expert in developing people and building scalable teams. She has interviewed, hired, trained, and led thousands of employees over the course of her career, most recently as the co-founder and partner of Cardone Ventures, a management consulting, joint ventures, and private equity firm that helps business owners achieve their personal, professional, and financial goals through the growth of their business. With absolutely no cost of capital, no outside investment, in 30 months, Cardone Ventures generated $60 million in revenue and over 30 million in EBITDA, which is insane. Over 50, I mean 50% plus EBITDA margin on a startup with no outside capital is pretty intense. So Natalie's responsible for operations, finding, hiring, aligning, developing, retaining the team that allows the business to scale profitably. So she's attended the London School of Economics uses her unique blend of operational financial skill sets to align employees with the business objectives for measurable return on investment. She's also a number one bestseller for her book, Teamwork, in which she details exactly how she's built a highly engaged, highly aligned, and high-performance team in order to accommodate the business opportunity and the growth that they're having over at Cardone Ventures. So Natalie, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on.
0: Thank you for having me. You know, Listening to the bio, it actually excites me because I think sometimes you just forget all the things that you're working on as a business owner, as somebody who's in the weeds. And you know, when, when somebody else tells you what you're doing, you're like, that's pretty freaking cool. I want to yeah. be a part of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope anyway, right? It'd be a bummer right, exactly. if you heard your own bio and got bored by it. So. Like, dang,
0: that sucks. That sounds yeah. awful.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we're on the same page here. Because uh, I think if people read that bio and then heard how old you are, they would be completely... Amazed by that, which they should be, yes. because you've accomplished a lot in twenty nine ish.
0: That's right. Twenty nine. Eight months till I'm thirty. Got a Ooh. lot to do before then.
1: I got four weeks before I'm thirty.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah.
1: Wow. So it's. All right, coming do you up. feel
0: proud of yourself?
1: I don't. Okay. <laughs> no, I. So I. That's I'm, fair.
0: I think that's really honest.
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde type of a feeling about it. You know, it's like, I know that I've put myself in a better position than most 30-year-olds, but I also still feel like... I don't know how you feel. I, I feel like it's it's such a, it's been such a part of my core identity because I grew up... I had to grow up really, really fast and shoulder a lot of responsibility at a younger age compared to most people. And yeah. so I've always just been the young guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. like, that's like kind of my thing is like, Oh, I didn't realize sure. you're in your 20s. Still. I thought you were 38 or whatever, you know? And so... Yep. That kind of feeds into your identity a little bit. And uh, when people's expectations of you, you know, catch up to your age, it's like that kind of weird part of life. And I feel like turning 30 is like, ooh, now people are going to expect that I'm an adult <laughs> and that I have responsibility it's and should so have true. my life on track. So, so
0: true. I, I think about feel that about all that. the time. I think about that all the time. Yeah. Most birthdays of my life, I've woken up very disappointed. I think it's only been the last two birthdays where I'm at least proud of the person that like is is showing up on that day. But I still feel like the sense of loss, like I haven't done more that really propels me to take a lot of action from birthday to birthday. Like to me, birthdays are really big milestones and especially, you know, 30 coming up for you in four weeks. It's I think it's a good thing. Most people don't talk about that enough. It's not about aging. I think that's probably more of a female thing around like getting older and all of that type of stuff. But it's about like, who are you becoming and what is... What is your contribution, and are you really proud of that contribution if you're not? What do you do about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and how do you make sure that you don't wake up that way when you're turning forty or fifty or sixty? totally yeah
0: Just the good news deep is real that, fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the good news is that i I think anyway that a lot of people don't have that realization until like until they're at this exact point before we're thirty, and I feel like. I at least had some foresight in my early twenties to be like, okay, by the time I turn 30, I want to have done some of these things, you know, and and now for I can sure. look back and go like, okay, I did do a lot of those things, but also I really wish I could have done a couple of these other things. And, but you know, now it's here. And now you, uh, you know, get to the point where I feel like, I feel like, I, I feel like I, my, my advice to most 20 somethings is always just like focus on learning in your twenties and then earning in your thirties. And I feel that that's kind of going to be the very similar way for me is that i learned a ton in my twenties and I feel like it's gonna set me up for a, a fun decade ahead, you know. So I like that. But we're here to not talk about just age. We're here to talk about <laughs> everything else that you figured out along the way. So let's rewind the clock. Okay. Take me back in time. Let's say uh 12, 13 year old Natalie, what <sighs> what were you doing? Like where in the country were you? What were your parents up to? Like yeah. what got you on this path?
0: Yeah, uh, 12 or 13 year old Natalie was. I specifically remember going to a lot of my brother's sporting events. Like my family was very involved with my brother's athletics throughout the year. And so I had to come up with, like, what do I do at these basketball games? I'm not a big sports fan. I've never really been into basketball. I like football, but. I remember showing up to these events and just being super bored because there'd be those tournaments and you have to wait on the wooden bleachers. And back then, the kids didn't have iPads and iPhones to look at. So you had to read. Like that was really my only option. And I remember picking up my first business book. It was called The Starbucks Experience when I was 11 or 12. And that book totally blew my mind. Like the did fact you, that Starbucks.
1: Did you choose that book?
0: I did choose that book. My mom. In order to wait for my brother's basketball practice, she would take us to Barnes and Noble, these like crazy things called bookstores from back <laughs> in the day. And so we would wait at these Barnes and Nobles. And I just, I think it was on like a upcoming release or some shelf that caught my attention. I liked Starbucks at the time. The whipped cream was nice. So my hot cocoa at 11. <laughs> Wasn't drinking coffee back then. The Java then. chip frappuccinos
1: so, that were basically just that. totally. Shake. Yeah.
0: It was pretty much my drink. I don't know how <laughs> you knew that. But yeah, so I picked up a business book. It was just fascinated by the decisions that companies made that I didn't even realize I was experiencing. And that for me, like really kicked off my interest in business. Both my parents were business owners. They had their own medical practices. My parents are both... They've just retired, but they were medical doctors. And so... I kind of could hear decisions that they would make in their business about giving their patients water in the waiting room and business mm. cards and all of that. And I think that part of partially also fueled the experience versus just learning about it.
1: With your parents being extremely well educated traditionally, obviously as medical doctors, but then also uh, having yeah. the business experience. Did they tend to push you or your siblings in a certain direction in terms of like yes. you got to go to school, you got to get a degree, you got to do it this way, or were they more Same kind of that. like oh entrepreneurial, fostering this you know type of thought process? Where, where did they where did they land on that?
0: You know, back then I don't think being a business owner was cool. Like they didn't yeah. think of themselves as business owners; they thought of themselves as doctors, which required a degree. So yes, it was mandatory in our household that we got A's. I would joke with my teachers when I was teetering on like an A minus that my parents wouldn't feed us if I didn't get an A. So like, what did I need to do in order to get an A type of thing? But yeah, I was a 4.0 high school student and through college, I had an academic scholarship to college because like my parents were so pro. You were absolutely going to college and there was going to be some sort of graduate program. Um, They pushed my brother towards medicine. They didn't push me towards medicine because I was never into it. But the most the greatest decision, the most freeing thing I've ever done in my entire life was dropping out of college, my junior year. And it was kind of the first time that I t- took control of what I wanted to do and made a decision for myself and didn't feel like that labeling of you're going to college and following this path was what I was actually gonna end up doing. So, you know, I said, no more. I mean, my parents were paying for everything at that point. So it was really scary. And I was at my job, I was making $8.33 an hour. And then I got transitioned over to salary, which made me like a thirty-eight thousand dollars a year employee, or like maybe it was forty thousand a year. So it was really scary because I'd always had this like kind of cushion with my parents. But yeah. best thing I've ever done. Still to this day, I would do it a million times over.
1: How did your parents feel about that?
0: Oh my god, they cried. Did they? cried. I mean, they weren't mean about saying I wasn't financially, they weren't going to financially take care of me any longer, but it, you know, it didn't take long for, you know, no cell phone bill, no car insurance. Like you need to cover these things moving forward, which I appreciate about them. They were yeah. hard workers. They're like very much pick yourself up by the bootstraps, figure it out. These are the consequences for your decisions.
1: Right. Yeah. That, that's actually, it's funny you bring that up because my wife and I were having that conversation last night We're at, at date night, we were talking a little bit about how we're going to do that with our kids. Because it's hard when you feel like you're going to raise your kids in more abundance than you were raised in. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know the difference between what am I doing that enables them and what am I doing that like is just cruel, (laughs) you know? Because like my instinct is just to be like, don't give them anything, make them work for everything, teach them this, teach them that. But it's at the same time, it's like, well, I don't want my kids growing up like having bad memories of how mean I was to them either. It's like, it's kind of like this weird balance where you have to, you have to at some point be willing to do what your parents did. Which was say, like, yeah. okay, you're an adult, you made the decision to drop out of college. That's your decision. But yep. now that you've made that decision, you now get to deal with the consequences of that decision, whether good or bad. And yeah. it's on you to figure it out at this point. And I think that For if sure. they would have just been the if they would have just been the parents that were like, okay, well, We'll support you till you figure out what you want to do type of thing. Then you might still be couch surfing on you know their basement and <laughs> still figuring out what you want to do with life. At,
0: Probably. Yeah. You know, I really do credit my day. parents for a lot of that. The best thing my parents ever did, this is like, I'm not a parent, but I have two things I would duplicate if I was going to become a parent. First thing, they made me drive my grandparents' cars. So I drove a 1993 Buick Century until yes. I could afford to make a car payment. And that humbled me. So much. I was so embarrassed by this car, but when you grow up with parents who have money, you kind of think that you've made that, but you have, like, I did not contribute to my parents' success. They did all of that hard work. And so that really like grounded me, even though I hated it. And like, I would park in like way far away parking lots because I was embarrassed by the car. And then the second thing they did is at every single dinner party, they would ask me at the end of the dinner party that they were hosting or like at a dinner that we were at to recount to them the questions that I asked their friends and where I Mm. got stopped asking questions. Because if you can't ask somebody five questions, like you're not really a great listener who can then come up with the next thing. And so they taught me from a young age how to talk to people, adults, and not just keep it inside, but actually be able to really engage with people. And I would do those things, two things over again, for sure.
1: That's amazing. So getting back into the story a little bit. So you're yeah. a college dropout and you yes. have a wonderful job that pays you 38 dollars $40,000 a year or something. Yes. How does that turn into the next eight, nine years of your life?
0: Yes. So this job that I dropped out of college for, the story gets a little wild because the owner of that company. He's now my husband. So at the time he was boyfriend and then he was fiance and then he was husband, but we worked together for about a year and a half before there was anything going on between the two of us. But he introduced me to leadership content and that's what really got me hooked to this business. He has this leadership program and as an entry-level employee in this organization everybody was given the option. I had nothing to do at this job. Like I hated this job because I literally had nothing to do besides listen to this leadership content. And I was supposed to be transcribing it because cool transcription services didn't exist. And so I was listening to all of this leadership content. And uh, through working on this leadership program, uh, his executive assistant, who was my boss, asked me what my personal, professional, and financial goals were. And really, like, made me write out a plan for, hey, what do you want? And I listed out my goals. I talk about this in my book. I have this whole chapter on what my goals were. And I felt so silly writing down these goals. One of them was, you know, to make $15 an hour. Like, what would that be like to double my income? Yeah. Um, so I listed out all of my goals. And unfortunately, within two months of working under her, her husband got diagnosed with terminal cancer. So all of the projects that I was working on, like Brandon no longer had this executive assistant slash project manager. So I started working more closely with him on the leadership content. And that's really the foray into HR, which led to operations, which led to finance, which led to me taking over this role as the person responsible for 50 employees at our other subsidiary company that I was running for about two years back in 2016.
1: But wait, Natalie, you don't have a college degree. How how oh are you my gosh,
0: how <laughs> was I qualified? <laughs> that's that's what I like got from some people.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm like sure. that's really yeah, that I'm was
0: sure. it was I don't talk about this very much. Actually, I rarely talk about this ever, but it was very difficult for me to overcome. I was really freaking smart, but all of a sudden nobody saw me as smart and hardworking. Right. They saw me as the girlfriend, and right. that was really right. difficult. I became kind of a shadow of myself for a little while through that. Yeah. But becoming a shadow of myself allowed me to study. So I read every book I could find on management, on leadership, on organizational development, on structure, so yeah. that I knew what I was talking about when I had my opportunities.
1: Yeah. So that so that you had information and evidence that it wasn't just about like, Oh, well, he's my boyfriend. Yes. But also like, like the bottom line is this. If you think the leader of your company is... Dumb enough to put a completely unqualified person in charge of running their company, essentially, mm-hmm. which is what you were doing, then yeah. why are you at that company anyway? Like, if you genuinely think that that's like you really think that this guy, this smart business owner that's in yep. it to make a profit, that runs a tight ship, that's taking his company to sell for multiple nine figures, you think that he's going to put an operator in charge of operating that company just because he likes her, like, then you don't know that person at all. And if you genuinely think that that is that person, why do you work for that person? Because they are going to sink the ship anyway. And that clearly didn't happen because you guys made it through to an exit. And to have an exit on a company that's largely information like that, people don't understand. Like People and processes are like the two most important things people are going to look at in the business like that because it's it's constrained by those types of things in the operational system. And so if you don't have those things tightened up really, really well, it's gonna drastically affect the valuation or the multiple that you get when you try to exit that company. And somebody like Brandon isn't gonna take a tens of millions of dollars hit on his exit because he yeah. likes the girl that he put in charge of it. It doesn't make any sense. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But no, you can't explain that to most people because most people aren't business owners. They're they're right. employees. They're well, team and they, members,
1: want, so. they want evidence. Most people just want evidence that that the deck is stacked against them. They, they believe mm. so hardcore in their mind that the deck has been stacked against them and that it's just a matter of luck and there's nothing they can do about it. That when they see mm-hmm. things like that happen, they immediately just stack it in as evidence as to why I can't be successful. Because yeah. everybody's out to get me and I'm just not that person. I didn't get that same opportunity. I'm not this enough. Yep. I'm not that enough. And it's just mm-hmm. this journey to strive to take zero responsibility for the state that they're in.
0: Yeah. And what's funny, I've spent so much time thinking about this because I had like this crossroads of deciding, do I really want to choose to live this life where no one is ever going to give me credit for anything that I do? Sure. Because I recognize even today, people will say it was all Brandon and, and they will give him 90% of the credit and I'll get 10%. Yep. But like, am I really that insecure with my contribution that that matters to me? And sure. if I'm not that insecure, and I know what my contribution was, why why would I care? And I like I wrestled with that in my earlier twenties, and now I just I couldn't give two shits because the the reality is I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I could figure out what I needed to do, and exactly. I knew that I could adjust. I knew that I could have confidence in myself. So to me, that was what I needed anyway.
1: Yeah, what I tell people a lot of times is like the leveling up opportunity will do one of two things. It'll either force you to level up or it'll force you to get out. It's not going to mm-hmm. do anything in the middle. Like mm-hmm. when if somebody like that gives you the opportunity to do it and you know at that point that like, well, I'm, I feel like I'm unqualified to do this next rung of the ladder, but then you mm-hmm. step into that role, own it, you have ambition, you're outworking everybody, you're reading all the books, you're studying the material, you're doing the work and you actually become qualified to do that and then qualified to do the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. Like you know, what I'm saying like that constraint is either going to force you to level yourself up, or six months later you're fired, or you're demoted, or you're put in a different department because you weren't able yeah. to keep up with it, or you weren't able to outgrow the position. Um, yeah. And like I said, smart people aren't going to keep you in those roles long enough for you to f it up that bad to where the company is going to take a bad hit because of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because
0: like there's too much at risk.
1: Right. Exactly. It's not just. A, it's not. You're not a. You're not a solopreneur. It's not just you and him. There's, yeah. Dozens and dozens of, of employers, members. hundreds of people yeah. that whose livelihood depends on you. It's not like they can just be like, "Oh well, better luck like next time." <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to make that. decisions what's best for the business. So, this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Cardone Ventures Mm -hmm. and specifically what the first six months looked like. So if you want to check out how the partnership was formed between uh, Natalie and Brandon and Grant and Elena and everything that they're working on, then go check out Brandon's episode. Brandon and I did an episode uh, a couple of weeks back that that we just released recently. Check out Brandon's episode. We talk a lot about how that partnership was formed and what hoops you guys jumped through and how you recognized uh, the potential there. But I want to talk more to you about what the first like six months looked like post partnership, because mm-hmm. uh, you know you guys obviously were both experienced business people at that point. You had a nine figure exit underneath uh, like under your belt, trying to figure out what's next. You come across Grant, you uh, do the work to put in this partnership, put this deal together, and now like you have the partnership. This is where mm-hmm. most people would excuse my French, but they would just shit the bed. Where it's just like, yeah. okay, <laughs> well, we got the partnership to happen, but now we have to actually go prove. All of the stuff that we promised. And that's the execution part is the part that's 10 times more difficult than the idea or forming the partnership or or, or whatever. So talk to me like through the first 6 months of what that startup, essentially what you guys have been building, the startup at Cardinal Ventures. Talk to me the first through 6 months of, of what that looked like in terms of operations specifically in your role.
0: Yeah. I think Brandon and I did a really great job and grant of saying who's responsible for what. And if I'm responsible for something, what's my target? And it sounds so benign, but it blows my mind how often business owners don't actually have targets for how much revenue they want to do, how much profit they want to do. We were clear on... In the first six months, we started in business in June. So we had only six months between the end of 2019 and the start of 2020. So we knew how much revenue we wanted to do and what our profit margins were. So then every single month, we did work backs on, okay, what do we have to hit? What do we have to sell? What do we have to market? So Grant knew what his role was in the marketing piece. Essentially, our marketing early on was like, hey, Brandon, get up on stage and let's see if you can sell anything. So Brandon was entirely responsible for sales and marketing. And I was responsible on the back end for ops and finding people. I'd never recruited people before. like No one teaches you these things in some school. or There was no previous experience of that. But when you're growing a business, the main thing is, hey, how do you figure out how to sell and market your product and then also find people who can actually competently work on it? And so as we were putting together this team, I was responsible for hiring our first 50 team members that was stabilized 50. We turned through people because this 10x thing, especially in those first year and a half it was a startup business where like had this 10x mentality and culture and then add covid to it so we really need to needed to find people who were philosophically on the same page with us yeah. which i'm not saying was challenging to do like there those people are out there but a lot of people think that they are those things because they want to be that thing but once oh. they're in the environment they're not it shows that they're not and so we probably i hired about 85 people for us to find a stabilized 50 which was last April when I moved myself out of recruitment. But it was really filtering through like who is head of marketing? Who is going to be head of ops in these different departments? What does the product and, and deliverable look like? And I was obsessive about it. I was the CTO. I was the COO. I was a CHRO. And I was just wearing all of those operating hats while Brandon's hats were, Hey, we need to sell and Hey, we need to market. So like, revenue. let's yeah. keep the main thing, the main thing.
1: Yeah. So... When you are thinking about str- like you said, you know, hire the first 50 people, who are your first hires of those 50? Are you hiring bottom up? Are you hiring top down? Are you hiring middle up, down, like middle out? Like wh- where where are you focused in those first, you know, five to 10 hires?
0: Yeah. Our focus was sales and marketing early on. I would okay. recommend any business early on is sales and marketing because once you have that, you can worry about the fulfillment on the back end because yeah. now you have the revenue that you need in order to hire those people. If you Money do, solves opposite,
1: a lot of problems.
0: Yeah. It solves it solves every problem in a business. Yeah. Like if I have the if somebody has pre ordered my course, now I'm going to be able to hire the video team and the graphics team in order to create the course and put it on a system. Yeah. But so many business owners make the mistake of building it first and then marketing and selling it. We did hire top heavy earlier than I think we would recommend most companies do because. Like we set targets and we were certain of our growth. And we didn't want inexperienced $60,000, $70,000 team members to be making the decisions that these departments... I mean, in our first full year of business, we did $13 million in revenue. We couldn't have hired somebody at $60,000 or $70,000 to run our marketing or sales team, knowing that that was our target. So for businesses who say, I want to have a million-dollar business next year or a $5 million business, I think that you can afford to hire more entry-level people. But we knew that the growth that we wanted was a lot faster than the traditional growth curve for organization.
1: So based on certain metrics, if we can put some like you know definitions on these things, I know within Cardon Ventures, you guys talk about different levels of different businesses and what those levels are. So clearly you guys came out of the gates zooming past the first couple of levels that you guys talk about, right? So at what point should you be focused on like six-figure executive hires? Uh, like what what revenue goals, what revenue projections um, or forecasts mm. should you be really thinking about like, yeah, I'm going to need to bring on somebody who is much more experienced than I am in this one particular area?
0: We normally say the core leadership should be between 5 to 8 million. The best role... And most people make this mistake at the three to five. The best role that you could hire isn't even an executive at three to five. It's somebody whose sole responsibility it is to document your processes. So we hired... it's We called this role a business process specialist. We hired her when we had about 33 employees. And it was her job to maintain this thing that we had built so that when we had core leadership in place they could be directing and moving what existing pieces were there and assess what's broken. But oftentimes, people are so focused on this one problem, they don't even see that all this other stuff impacts their department or or their role because no one's documented it. And so just having somebody who's sole responsibility is putting all the stuff that you're doing digitally in an organized fashion is like my number one business hack for people who are stuck between that three to five and think that they need some expert operator who's going to come in and fix all their problems. Well, no, they don't even know what problems to fix because it isn't even organized in a fashion that they could properly assess those things. And oftentimes, those higher paid executives don't want to do that work.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask. So if you are... Let's say it's Brandon by himself right mm-hmm. you're not there doing all the ops doing all the back end and he gets up to 3 million and yeah. he knows that there's just so many open processes there's there's no closed loops anywhere there's a lot of holes like if this person got hit by a bus tomorrow then that whole team would just stop functioning like he knows those things exist mm-hmm. would you would you tell him to go hire a you and then have you hire a you know a you know process documentation specialist or whatever or would he be better off going and hiring that person first before he worries about bringing on a COO?
0: I think you hire that person first. I don't think you hire a COO because, to be honest with you, unless that person has been a COO of a $50 million company, first of all, why would somebody who has the experience of knowing how to do that come work for you? Like it's just, it's not likely at a $3 million business unless that vision and that growth story is so compelling. But the average business does not have that and has probably been plateaued for quite some time. So, uh, i think you would have a hard time selling the right coo with the right experience on how to do that for a 3 million dollar business and therefore the process specialist is going to come in be able to organize it you're going to get that role for much cheaper probably between 70 to maybe 80 85000 the whole thing's going to be organized and that's the processes can get fixed by that person you don't need somebody super strategic to point out Oh, accounting isn't talking to sales. This is a problem. Let's fix this problem. It doesn't take a seasoned COO, and I don't think any business under twenty or thirty million dollars should be having C-suite titles because they're not really C-suites. Like no Fortune 500 companies giving the same responsibilities for what they define as a C-suite, who's managing multi-million-dollar budgets to a business that is doing three million dollars. Like it's it's entirely different role it's not really a C-suite it's like a director
1: Sure sure no that makes a lot of sense okay so you guys build out you know this business and along the way you get the idea inspiration motivation desire whatever you want to call it to write a book This' is a book that I just I gotta recommend it to all of our all of our audience because this is likely the problem that you're experiencing in your business even if you don't know it is. And this is what I've been learning a lot recently because I tend to be the sales guy, the marketer, push for revenue, and then my team has to come in and pick up the pieces. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so this has been a huge lesson for me to be learning uh, recently. And so, I'm uh, curious to hear what sparked the desire, what sparked the interest, something that you wanted to do, something that Brandon wanted you to do, something that Grant made you do. Like, what, what, what sparked the idea to write the book? And then, mm-hmm. you know, what's the top top takeaway that you hope that people get from reading it?
0: So what inspired the book is I always knew I wanted to write a book. Like if I, on my deathbed, want to do something, but I haven't done it yet, I recognize that I need to start taking action in order to make that thing happen. And that really hit me last year in May. I was like, man, I know I'm supposed to write a book before I'm 30. I'm definitely writing one before I die. Probably going to write a lot of them. So I, I likely need to start chipping away at this thing. And so I contacted a publisher and I gave myself two weeks to finish the book because the goal, as Grant always says, a goal is not to write a book. A goal is to finish a book. So people like romanticize, oh, it took me a year and a half to write this book. He's like, just finish the freaking book. Give yourself a timeline and finish the book. So I wrote it within two weeks and it was a little brutal. I didn't love the process. I don't necessarily know that I would want to duplicate it the way that I did it. But got done. And I hit my target, which was releasing it before the end of last year. Um, So I wrote it within two weeks. And that accomplishment was like, man, I'm so glad I did this. But what's been even cooler outside of just like checking it off the box is, for me, the biggest takeaway is business owners need to have a system in place as it relates to their people. And the entire book, every chapter is like this puzzle. And... When business owners this this idea really clicks to them that it's a puzzle and you can't just like pick and choose which pieces go in a puzzle like it's a fixed amount of piece pieces when they spend time at a workshop with me and we really start going through their people issues I can point to the specific piece that they don't have in place that the book outlines and so to me. It's every single chapter and a business owner really going through the entire thing to say, like, what does career progression look like? What does goal setting look like? What does your mission, vision, values look like? How do you manage one-on-ones and keep people accountable to metrics? All of those pieces are strategic and they add something. And I did it in the most like cleaned out, least fluffy and very direct so that business owners don't have to waste their time. One of the most challenging things I had to deal with very early on was no one told me how to run a team meeting. I led a team of people. um, They were HR managers when I was 23 years old. I had read John Maxwell books. I had done all like the leadership training that you're supposed to do before getting a management position. I step into this role the night before, I'm frantically Google searching like how do you run a team meeting because no one tells you what the agenda is supposed to look like or what to talk about. And so I really created it with this idea of I want to give business owners and leaders this blueprint for, how you actually engage and interact with the team and every piece that you need to have in place in order for you to be successful in doing that.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. That's why I recommend anybody listening to this pick up a copy of your book uh, because those and you know, those practical guides and actual copies of agendas and things like that are just so valuable. Like mm-hmm. you said, you you put meetings on your calendar and then half the time you realize that like, oh wait. 60% of the meetings in my calendar probably didn't even need to be a meeting. Probably didn't even need to be escalated to a meeting. It probably could have been taken care of in Slack or yep. something like that. And then the ones that are on the calendar, we have no agenda. And now we're just wasting time, even though yeah. we needed the meeting. But we get to the end of the meeting. It's like, well, what happened with this meeting? There's no calls to action. Nobody knows what they're supposed to do about it. We just oh. jumped on and wasted an hour and a half in the middle of the workday to bullshit and talk about nothing. So... It's nothing having, worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a massive waste of time. And the worst part about it to me is it makes people feel like they're working. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So like yes. it, it drains energy. And then like at the end of the day, they're like, man, I got, I, I did a lot of work today. But then they look at what they got done and it was like almost nothing
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they spent three and a half hours on useless calls that didn't actually make anybody do anything.
0: But and they're so busy and they're so overworked. And exactly. when you put a new revenue generating idea on the table, they're like, oh no, I can't, How are eat, do my that? plate yeah. is full. So as soon right. as a team member says that to me, I'm like, great, let's pull up your calendar. Okay, let's go through all the meetings that you're having. Oh, what is this meeting for? What do you guys talk about? Oh, there's no agenda. Okay, great. I just found an hour and a half in your right. in your calendar right there, right. so that we can prioritize this new thing. Like it's right. that fast when you actually look at where people are spending time. But a lot of business owners, because they don't spend their time properly, they w- refuse to look at where their team is spending their time. Like they won't actually just say, like, Hey, let me see what my executive that I'm paying one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year. Let's see what they're doing and actually open their calendar and. Be like, hey, man, this busy block for five hours, what was this? You weren't yeah. working in the office. Where were you? They will not do that. And I have a responsibility in our environment to be that person. Unfortunately, I don't love that role. But somebody has to do it because right. we're moving yeah. fast. And if you're not committed to moving fast, then maybe you can run a cushy culture. But we're committed to impacting a million people. Like We can't just wait around to let Joe Schmo decide how he's going to use his time and resources when really it's it's our time and resources.
1: Exactly. It is. Yes, you are paying for that time and with your resources. Yes. Yes. And
0: so you can ask those questions. Like It's in your purview. It's actually your job as a leader to inspect what you are assuming is happening in your organization.
1: Inspect what you expect. Yeah. Amen. So, when I really started realizing this, I was listening to um, uh, Alex Ramosi, um do hmm. some content the other day, and he was going through his uh, uh, breakdown, or whatever. And, and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because he was going through. He's like, everybody knows, like you know, their sales numbers in terms of you know how many people are you, how many leads do you have coming in, how many people showing up to the calls, how many closes do you have, how many people are escalating are, are getting sent off to account management and then delivered on. And most people know what those numbers are, but he was like, if I asked you to define that in your recruiting process would you be able to do that? And I was like, no, I wouldn't. And that's a problem. And he points out that like, look, we have this whole process for recruitment too. How many people, like how many job ads do we have going out? How many applications do we have coming in? How many of those are interviews? How many of those are qualified? How many of those are rehiring? How many of those last and actually stick around and then move up in the in the company? Like it was just like a it was it was like a maybe like a ton of bricks because when you start realizing, especially when you look when you start targeting an acquisition or an exit at some point, your people are like 20 to 30 percent of what you're selling in in the transaction is people Mm -hmm. who are competent at continuing to run the company minus you. Right. So like if you don't have people in place, you don't have processes in place, and you have a process for people in place. It's going to be difficult for an outside company to come in and value your company, at least in the the terms that you want it to be valued in, um, Mm -hmm. and actually give you the money that you're looking for so you can eventually stop the rat race and do whatever you want to do. Yep. Exactly. This stuff is just so, 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 so important, guys. And this is the stuff that I was opposed to learning for a a little while and kept me... Until you probably
0: hit a breakpoint. Was it when you hit like some sort of
1: yeah, it was revenue for us. It was just like okay. we we had too many, we had too many uh, uh customers, too many clients coming in. And it was just like, I am losing like if I continue to do that the way that we're doing it right now, we're like all of our clients are gonna just go straight out the exit door. Yep. Like they're not gonna wanna stick around, they're not gonna wanna refer people to us, like none of that mm-hmm. stuff's gonna happen. And so mm-hmm. uh just got it got to the point where it was just like, okay, we 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 can't can't keep, you know, turning a blind eye to this.
0: Yep, one of my best hacks to get business owners to organize their business like this because it is psychological. Meaning, it's not just somebody decides one day that they're going to run their business in the most operationally sound manner. There like has to be some pain associated with it, or there has to be some reward. And just thinking about an exit, people think, "Oh, I have so much time. I don't want to exit my business for five years, so I'll just continue to do it like this." But what I do instead is say let's flip that. What if we create a new policy? And this new policy in our organization is that every single role has incentive metrics based off of the metrics that that role is responsible for. So if I know that every single month I am paying somebody more than their salary, I'm paying their base, but I'm also paying them incentive metrics, not something that they sell from commission, but something that they're doing in the environment, It's going to force me to actually look at, hey, what are you doing? And what is average from a production standpoint versus above average? And I'm willing to pay for above average, but it's okay. You can keep your job here if you're just average. That's not ideal, but that's going to create two things. One, it's going to create the motivation for the employer to look at their financial statements, to be a responsible business owner, to actually say like, hey, I don't want to be paying out money that doesn't actually lead to growth. So they're going to start stabbing at different metrics to incentivize people off of. But the second thing is, if you know you have this policy in place, your team member is also going to be pushing on you to get their metrics because they are going to want to be paid out their incentive. And so it creates this, this friction from both sides. Listen, the last thing I like to do every single day is figure out our incentive metrics for our team. Do I want to be thinking, man, how am I going to incentivize our new product manager? Well, let's see, in their Asana tasks, this is how many they should be completing. Well, is Asana task the right thing? Isn't part of their base job them? And I have to go through this whole thing in my head to figure out what the right incentive is. I pick a target. So within two months, I have to have completed some sort of criteria. I pick that target for them. I look at it for a month. If that department is growing, if they're hitting their target, fantastic. We're, we're I, Natalie did a great job pat on the back for figuring this out. If it's not going well, the business is making less money or the department is making less money and they're making more money, then all of a sudden I know, hey, I created the wrong incentive, I need to tweak this. But it forces you to keep your organization actually organized Versus just letting it kind of run amok because the challenge becomes what happens when I have to hire the second project manager? Or what happens when I have to hire the second recruiter? Well, How am I going to know that what the first recruiter did was actually the right thing to be duplicating off of the second recruiter? And so when you have growth in mind, it's easier to force yourself to do these things. But if you just put policy, Policies in place for yourself. Hey, we never let somebody go here more than two months without having incentive metrics, so they know how they're making more money. All of a sudden, it forces Natalie to sit down, I'm like, okay, I'll bang this out over the course of forty-five minutes for every role.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I appreciate that super, super practical piece of advice. Again, if you're listening, there's gems like this all throughout Natalie's book. So please go pick up a copy of Teamwork while you're thinking about it. Don't let it go because I know you won't remember. Uh, so pick up a copy of Teamwork while you're thinking about it right now, um, Natalie. Before we get wrapped up here, uh, there's one. Question that I've asked hundreds of people uh, that have hmm. come on the show: Shaquille O'Neal, Rob Deardor, Grant, Elena, all these, you know, John Maxwell, everybody that we brought on, essentially goes and answers this one question. This show is called Build Your Network. We talk mostly about relationships and networking. We didn't talk a lot about that today, even though I think building a team has a lot to do with relationships and networking and and those types of things. But I do got to ask you this question before before we kind of part ways here. Okay, so who you know or what you know? Which of those two? is the more important asset in life and why?
0: Who you know is more important than what you know. Because everything you want in life has to do with people. And to me, if I don't know who can get me the information that I need, even if I have the information, if it's, if it's not from the right person... And if it's not from somebody who's actually had the success, like it's it's about the who piece. Information is just information. And unless somebody has shown me that they've been able to do this, they've been able to achieve this, I would never have partnered or be interested in partnering with Grant if it wasn't who you knew first. Great. His information was awesome. But the who was, hey, he's created something that I haven't created before. He has this life with Elena that Brandon and I would like to... Have as well. So, how do we get close to who you know? And then that makes the information that they have relevant, especially in the day and age with social media. I think that it's so easy to just get connected to the information. Oh, Alex Hermosi said this, and Dave Ramsey said this, and Grant Cardone said this. But at the end of the day, if those three people don't actually have the life that you want and they're giving you information, the information is pointless if it's not associated with what you're actually wanting to create for yourself. So, yeah. i uh, think
1: they not couldn't, couldn't agree more and, and like that information is fluid right like you can you can learn from YouTube all day but you know if you watch something from Grant or you watch something from any of these other people the situation that you're in is a completely custom situation you mm-hmm. can't you can't take cookie cutter advice and apply it to every situation that you're in you know sometimes it's like you know like you can hear if you even if you're listening to this right now like you hear Natalie say like yeah if you're under these rev- these revenue metrics like you're probably not going to want to hire an operator you probably want to hire this person and it's like for a lot of people, that may be the case. But mm-hmm. if you sat down with somebody and looked at their actual business and then saw like, oh, well, you have this close relationship with this person that did operate a company that looked, looked, looked like that. You have venture capital backing. You have some money in the bank. Yep. Pay that person more. Give them some equity. Sell the vision and then bring them in. Like like, There's so many specific situations and that's what you don't get with just the information piece. Yep. Is like at the end of the day, you're still making a guess based on the situation you're in and the information that you're, that you're consuming. Whereas if you're talking directly to a who, then they can delineate that what into the specific problem that you're facing, the specific obstacle that you're trying to overcome. Um, and the other thing to me is like, knowledge is in abundance, like mm-hmm. we talked about. Like there's there's one and a half million books that come out every year. There's 3 million plus podcasts. There's 35 million plus YouTube channels. There's 500 million plus blogs. The information is in abundance. Connections are in scarcity. Mm-hmm. And so the people who tend to foster the connections tend to be the ones that get the opportunity, which is how you apply the information anyway. So cannot agree more. Natalie, it's been really, really fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Besides picking up a copy of Teamwork, where can everybody else find you and learn more about what you're up to?
0: I am most active on Instagram. I'm very active in my DMs. Would love to connect with you guys on people problems, hiring problems, all things related to building a company culture and operations.
1: Perfect. And that's just at Natalie Dawson, correct?
0: Unfortunately, because I'm verified, my last name is still Workman on Instagram. It's kind of lame. So it's at Natalie Workman.
1: At Natalie Workman on Instagram. Um, Please go check out some of the stuff that they're putting out there. Again, if you don't know what the constraint is in your business, it's probably this. So uh, pick up a copy of Teamwork. Follow Natalie. Follow the advice she's putting out there. I know her and Brandon are working on some big things with Cardone Ventures. I'm excited to see where you guys take the company. So thanks so much for coming on, Natalie. This is fun.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time.